In the Middle East, where I grew up the first 19 years of my life at least, generally speaking, professional thieves do not go to rob homes or shops during the daytime. It's always assumed that somebody is in the house in the daytime, so they don't really go around about stealing during the day. They specialize in robbing and stealing at nighttime when people are asleep. (laughs) And even then, a thief first goes around and pushes on the doors of a shop or a home or a place where they know they can go in and steal. Before they start picking the locks, before they start doing anything, they just push on the door in the hope that somebody, the housekeeper or the shopkeeper, had forgotten to lock the door. They can get in there much easier. That's how they operate. (laughs) And I believe this is where a lot of the biblical imagery comes from. Satan comes to every one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who have placed our faith totally in Him. And he goes around and he pushes on the doors. If one opens, he goes in, makes himself at home. You say, what what do you mean by that? Listen carefully, please. Pride and self-sufficiency is a huge door that Satan is going to push on to see if it's unlocked and to see if it is not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Anger and bitterness is a door that he constantly pushes on to see if it's unlocked. Hatred and unforgiveness is a door that he constantly pushes on to see if the door unlocked and will be open for him to come in. Lust and greed, they are doors that he pushes on all the time to see if there's an opportunity for him to go in and set a beachhead. Uh, Being undiscerning Christian from the undiscerning truth from falsehood in the Scripture. These are doors Satan pushes through to see if they have an opportunity to get in. False guilt and shame is a door that he constantly pushes on to see if he can get in. And if the enemy of your soul finds one of these doors unlocked, he immediately sees an opportunity to come in and to harass you and to create havoc in your life. Now, some of you might say, Michael, isn't the devil is a defeated foe? Wasn't he defeated on the cross? Absolutely, yes. Couldn't agree more. And that is why he cannot, let me repeat this, he cannot enter into your house and create havoc in your life or in your relationships unless you invite him, unless you leave the doors unlocked. And that is why when Peter spoke these words. He knew of what he's talking about from personal experience. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. I'm going to give you a literal translation of those words, and the literal translation is, be sober. Can you say that with me? Be sober. Be vigilant. Let's do it together. Be vigilant. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When Peter said this, <laughs> he knew exactly what he's talking about. He knew exactly what does that mean. His unlocked door in his life, his Achilles heel, if you like, his negligence, 
was in the fact of being prideful and braggadocious. I mean, here's what he said to Jesus. Now, rough translation, so let me warn you. Lord, you know these saps, your disciples, this weak knees guys following you, your disciples, you know those milk toast guys? Now, they might run away when the tough times come, but not me. I will never leave you. In fact, they're going to have to come through me to get to you, Lord. Remember those words? I, 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 count on me. I am the guy. I'm your man. And what did Satan do? He saw an opportunity, an unlocked door. And before it was over, as soon as the rooster crowed in the morning, Peter turned into chicken and denied Jesus three times. Some time ago, when I was researching my very first book on spiritual warfare, I learned several things about lions and understanding of this verse. And I learned that there are three times in which the lions roar. A lion roars if there is an intruder into his territory. And so he roars, telling that intruder, get out and stay out. A second time a lion roars is if he's caught in a thunderstorm. He, a lion apparently hates crashing thunder and flashing lightning. It scares him, and so he roars. But the third time, which I believe Peter had in mind here, that a lion roars is when he, in fact, he roars the loudest after He captured his prey, and it's almost like a roar of triumph. It's a roar of success. It's a roar saying, I made it. It's a roar of victory. I got my prey. And he certainly roared loudest when Peter denied his beloved Jesus three times to the most insignificant people. I don't know, Jesus. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not one of them. In fact, I also learned that a lion never roars while he's stalking and chasing his prey. He never makes a sound. He does not announce his arrival lest he scares his prey. In fact, he will quietly and stealthily get as close to his prey as possible without being seen or heard. And then he goes after his prey. Beloved, make no mistake about it. If you are a committed believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have an enemy. Whether you want it or not, and whether you like it or not. Do you think I enjoy that? Do you think I enjoy even telling you about this? No, because the miserable rascal is going to go after me, and I know. So I hope you're praying for me. And that is why he loves the preachers who deny his existence or minimize his activities, minimize his evil designs on God's children. The Bible said Satan is our adversary, that Satan is our enemy, that Satan is our foe. Why? Because the moment Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, snatched you out of his jaws, and make no mistake about it, God did. You might think you made the decision, but God snatched you out of His jaws. He regrets the fact that He lost you for His kingdom to the kingdom of Jesus. 
but he also knows that he cannot snatch you back. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given me, I'll lose none. He's holding you, and he's holding on to you. And so, the enemy knows that he can't get you back. So, what does he do? He starts harassing you and goes in through whatever door is unlocked in your life in order to render you ineffective for Jesus. Here's something you must never, ever, ever forget. When Satan gets to a non-vigilant, when Satan gets to a non-sober Christian, he creates a havoc, not just for one person, but for a whole lot of people. A whole lot of other people suffer when Satan attacks. How does he get in? Well, leaving doors unlocked in his face, great opportunity for him to come in. You say, well, how can Satan harass me? And then he harasses everybody else, you know, Bob and Joe and Sue and Jane and all the other Christians. How can he do that? Is he omnipresent like God is everywhere? And the answer is no, he's not. He's not omnipresent. So let me tell you exactly how he works. (laughs) When Satan, Lucifer, the angel of light serving at the throne of God, And then he decided that one day he's going to unseat God and he's going to take his place. In that deception, he deceived a third of the angelic being to follow him in this folly of wanting to conduct a coup d'etat against God. And so when the Lord threw Satan out of heaven, one third of the angelic beings were thrown out with him. Don't even be tempted to to figure out how many. There could be billions or trillions. We don't know. The Bible says there are untold number of created angels. We don't know how many of those third who were thrown out of heaven. These are his demons. These are the ones whom he commissions to go after believers. He sends them on assignments. But here's the good news. Listen to me. Here's the good news. For every demon that's harassing you, there are two angels who are protecting you. Amen. Always go to the good news. Always go to the good news. The book of Hebrews said these are ministering angels, ministering to the believers. These demonic forces are always there. They're always there. They're there trying to mess with your head. They're always there trying to build a beachhead into your life. They're trying to build a beachhead into your marriage. They're trying to build a beachhead into your relationships. They're trying to build a beachhead into your church. And make no mistake about it, Satan spends all of his overtime hours in a Bible-believing church. He does. He doesn't bother those who are on the fringes. He said, just be happy. Keep on your happy, merry way. (laughs) Why did Peter say, be what? Sober. Be. Vigilant. Why would he write these words to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is he? Why is he concerned about this? I know some Christians will say, "Wait a minute, Michael. You know, when he says be sober, I'm always sober. I'm a teetotaler. I don't drink." This is a figure of speech. He uses the word sober deliberately. Please listen to me. A drunk person is a person who is incapable of accurately assessing his or her ability to drive safely. Their vision is impaired. Their ability to respond is impaired. 
their control over their limbs is impaired, but they never admit it. Hear me right, please. Drunkenness creates the ultimate form of self-deception. Can I get a witness? And Peter is saying, sin does that to a believer. Sin does exactly that. Sin is just like that. Allowing sin to nest in your life is a form of inebriation. (laughs) Accepting and getting used to habitual sinning is the ultimate in self-deception. Accepting and acquiescing to sin numbs your senses. And when your senses are numb, you will leave all sorts of doors open in your life for Satan to come in and harass you. But believe it or not, often Satan uses those non-sober, non-vigilant Christians to cause the Christians harm. And it's not just one person gets affected, but a whole group of people suffer for it. Often Satan uses non-sober Christians to destroy the work of God. Often Satan uses non-sober Christians to serve Satan's purpose, whether they know it or not. Just like those Western leaders, successive presidents of the United States of both parties, (laughs) you warned them. We have an enemy, and the enemy hates you, and the enemy wants to destroy you, and the enemy wants to dominate. They dismiss it. And just as they failed to take precaution, so the enemy, he used insiders. If you look at those shots of cameras and airports where those terrorists went in and bombed those planes and September 11, if you look at it, they look just normal people with backpack. I mean, they just look like any passenger. They were here legally. They went to aviation schools in the United States, mingled and mixed with ordinary citizens. In the same way, Satan uses insiders in the churches to disturb your peace, to attack your faithfulness, to criticize you on every turn, to try to undermine biblical authority to try to undermine spiritual authority. They try to create division and party spirit. And that's why the devil loves gossip, no matter what we call it. Prayer concern. (laughs) I'm just concerned. Why? Because Satan knows that gossip discourages, devastates, distracts, and destroys the work of God. Look again at those words that the Holy Spirit spoken through Peter. Be what? Be what? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not talking to non-believers. Now, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're still in the jaws of Satan. You need to be delivered. I pray you'll be delivered today. But he's talking to believers. And you know, I was thinking about this, and I looked through the Scripture, and I, there are tens of examples I could use, but because of the limitation of time, I'm only going to use few of how Satan deceived believers, and then he roared after he captured his prey. Joshua, the great man of God, mighty man of God, walking around Jericho seven times and with a shout, 
The strongest walls in the world at that time in Jericho fell. And no doubt in his mind says, oh, look what I've done. <laughs> look what we did. Isn't that great? And then he ceased to pray. He ceased to go to God for counsel. He ceased to go to God for advice. And so they said, it was a little town right there, and we've got to take it in order to get to the promised land, spelled A-I. And he said, well, you know, uh, it's just a piece of cake. Let's not worry about that thing. Let me rely on my strategy and my thinking here. Let's just send a couple of hundred people. They will take it hands down. And man alive. Next thing you see Joshua in chapter 7, verse 8, on his face crying, Oh, Lord! And the lion at that moment roared. I got you, man. I got you, people. I'm going to stop them from going into the promised land. In verses 10 and 11, God said to Joshua, Get up, get up. You have sin in the camp which has nearly devastated Israel. David. The Bible said he's a man after God's own heart. It was not even said of Moses that. Man after God's own heart. He grew in importance. I'm too important to get into the battlefield. I would rather sleep in. Take it easy. I'm not going to get up early and spend time with God and read the Scripture and be in the Word. No, no, no. I'm doing well. My finances are doing well. My investments are doing well. Have you seen the market lately? It's doing well. I'm doing well. God is blessing me. Life is going well. And the next thing you know, David is deep knee in adultery and murder, and Satan roared. I got you, man. I got you, man. Peter, who writes these words, these incredible words, let's say them again. Be what? Be what? (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind. I will find out when I see him in heaven. But there's no doubt in my mind that Peter was thinking of what happened to him when he was writing these words. Not only that he denied his beloved Jesus three times, what happened? Jesus warned him. He was not taken by surprise. In Luke chapter 22, 31 and 32, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. No wonder he writes these words. Be sober. Be vigilant. See, Peter knew firsthand how the adversary roared when he went out and bitterly wept. (laughs) You come into the New Testament. In the first church, in Acts chapter 5, the church just barely getting off the ground. Acts chapter 5. A couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They pretended to be super saints, when in reality, their sainthood was synthetic. Veneer, outward, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they both dropped dead on the spot, and Satan roared. (laughs) I hope you don't forget that sound. Because the early church really received the jolt. It's not the persecution from outside. It's the people inside. Satan is using 
be careful when you try to project an image of spirituality that deep down you're not sober and vigilant. When you are knee-deep in rebellion against biblical authority and spiritual authority. Listen, I am convinced that if we ever get the chance to peek into Satan's strategy papers, and make no mistake about it, he has a strategy on every one of us. If we're able to peek into those strategy papers, we're going to find that on top of his list, he wants Christians to not be discerning spiritually and spiritual truth. He wants Christians not to apply and obey the Word of God. He wants Christians to live in the murky, shallow water of mediocrity. He wants Christians to focus on their likes and dislikes. He wants the Christians to focus on themselves, not the glory of God, and not serving God, to keep them busy doing things, not bad things, maybe good things, but busy, 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 not staying with the book, the only book that can keep them from sin. It was D.L. Moody who said, this book can keep you from sin, or sin going to keep you from this book. Be what? Be what? Sober. 